0: Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett on the Monday broadcast. Brand new week, brand new opportunity. Uh, have you ever noticed when you've had a really busy weekend that it's really hard to get moving on Monday? So here's some good news from God's Word that I believe is more helpful than a cup of coffee. So I sent this out to my congregation this morning. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 2.9 that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Uh, you know, God has chosen you, and He's chosen you to be royal, holy, special, a proclaimer of God's praises. So, as you bring encouragement to somebody this week, remember who you are. You are not some afterthought. Uh, you're not a reject. You are a priest representing God to our world. You are a world changer, bringing God's glory to a dark world. So I'm praying for you today as you carry out this challenge to bring light into the world, that you will do it with excitement, uh, with the ability to be able to pierce the darkness. Uh, Well, today and tomorrow in the broadcast, I want to look at the subject of weaker brothers and stronger brothers, but I want to remind you that. uh, regardless of your weaker brother or a stronger brother uh, you're still a brother in Christ, and the Bible tells us a lot of ways in how we can get along with each other we 're going to be looking at Romans chapter fourteen today. Uh, before we look at the text itself. Uh, you know, I think about spiders. you know there are more than forty five thousand spider species around the world uh, there 's a hundred and ten different spider families, and uh thankfully. Few of these spiders have a venom uh, that can hurt us. There's a couple that can really hurt us, like the black widow and the yellow sack spider in the recluse. But most spiders are not aggressive. Uh, Most spiders are are out there just trying to uh, weave their webs and catch their prey so they have something to eat. Uh, But you know that uh, spiders in their webs, uh, the spider silk web is thinner than a human hair but it's five times stronger than steel of the same width. A spider silk rope just two inches thick is reportedly able to stop a Boeing 747 from taking off. And on its own, it could do very little, but bound together uh, with other strands in a rope, it has awesome strength. You know, spider webs sparkling in the sunlight can be a beautiful sight, Uh, but these webs have some additional surprises. The strength to weight ratio of the material is remarkable. And spiders seem to be able to rig a web just about anywhere. Just in my screening porch on Saturday, I went and I cleaned out all the webs, not the spider webs. And wouldn't you know, by Sunday, a lot of them were back. Uh, those webs, uh, these spiders created, uh, man, they are very industrious. Uh, you know, spiders have a sense of design. Uh, some webs are extremely intricate. Most people assume that the design is purely functional, but that's not always the case. You know, some spiders, particularly the larger spiders, are known to actively decorate their webs. Uh, They put extra silk design in their webs, and the reason they do this is for the beauty. It's not just a structural aspect of it, but for the beauty of it, because spiders know something about catching their prey. They know that most spiders are not going to accidentally get, or most flies are, are not going to accidentally get trapped in their web. Uh, they're not counting on the fact that uh, an insect is not going to see the web and just going to be trapped by it. Uh, they actively decorate their webs so that they can attract those insects. You know, spider webs, uh, they don't intercept their prey. They try to attract their prey. They actively try to attract the prey and they're not going to wait for a fly just to accidentally get caught. You know, spiders and spider webs, they're shiny for a reason. Many insects have better visual perception than other insects, and they're able to make these decorations on their webs so that it will attract a fly. You know, spiders are sneaky. Uh, they have these decorations for these webs, and uh, and they do it in such a way that, they are able to bring about an attraction to themselves. You know, spiders think big too. Uh, They're not looking at just catching smaller insects. They're looking at catching the bigger flies and the bigger insects. You know, when I think about how the enemy works, the enemy does the same thing to us. Uh, The enemy wants to trap us, and he's not waiting for us to occasionally get caught up in our own nonsense. Uh, He is intentional. Uh, The Bible talks about sin the fact that that sin is pleasurable for a season, but after this, the judgment. You know why we sin so much? Because sin is fun. Sin is consuming us, and sin is really something that is very addictive in nature. And so the enemy knows that if he can attract us to sin, uh, he can get us caught in the snare of the web. You know, spiders often replace their webs every single day. Many spiders actually replace their entire web every single day. Now, this costs a lot of energy and takes a lot of time to produce. But these spiders understand that their web is so important because that is how they're going to catch their prey. Uh, So they look at beauty, strength, and function. Now, today, as we look at uh, Romans chapter 14... Usually I don't um spend a lot of time reading the whole text, but today I want to do that because this is a two-part message. I'm gonna ask you to join me tomorrow for the second part of the message. Weaker brother, stronger brother, but still brother. But Paul writes that we are to accept other believers who are weak in the faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Now, for instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything. But another believer with a sensitive conscience only eats vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn somebody else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive His approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whatever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor Him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord. But since they give thanks to God before eating, those who refuse to eat certain foods Also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves and we don't die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and he rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of the Lord. For the scripture says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me. Every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and I'm convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if somebody believes it is wrong, then for that person, it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you're not acting in love if you eat. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then, let's aim for harmony. Harmony in the church to try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all food is acceptable. But it's wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better to not eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything else that might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something that have decided is right. But if you have doubts whether or not you should eat something, you're sinning if you go ahead and do it for you're not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, then you are sinning. As we look at Romans chapter 14 today, I want to look at three questions. Number one is, who should we fellowship with? That's a very important question. Who should we make sure that we fellowship with? There's some people that we shouldn't fellowship with. Now, I want to make a distinction between the word fellowship and the word friendship. Friendship has to do with an acquaintance or a connection that you have. You've got friends who are non-believers. You have friends that you work with. Uh, and, and so when you think about friends, friends and fellowship are two things. Fellowship is something that can really only take place between two believers. And the reason fellowship is only between believers is because Fellowship is something that is based upon the connection you have with Christ. Is Jesus Lord of your life? So we want to answer the question, who should I fellowship with? Now, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Uh, So we can have friends who are not in fellowship with us. But when we think about fellowshipping with other believers, are there people that we should fellowship with and people that we should not fellowship with? So we're going to answer that question first who should we fellowship with? Number two, why does this matter? Why is it so important that we make a distinction about who we should fellowship with and who we should not fellowship with? And then we'll conclude our time together in the broadcast tomorrow talking about the subject of how should we fellowship? So who should we fellowship? Why does it matter who we fellowship with? And then how should we fellowship? Now, Paul answers all three of these questions in Romans chapter 14. I took the time to read the entire chapter because I think it's important for us to get the whole picture of what Paul is saying. So Paul is reminding us we should fellowship with those who have the Lord as Lord of their life. He says we're to accept, we're to be hospitable, uh, we are to be waiting for, we are to accept to receive those who are also having the Lord as Lord of their lives. And he puts believers into two categories, strong believers, weak believers, but they're still believers, okay? Uh, You're a believer in Jesus Christ if you have put your faith and trust in him and Jesus is Lord of your life. You see, when you think about salvation, Jesus is not just your savior when you're born again, he is your Lord. In other words, he comes in, and he takes over. You're no longer the boss of your life. Uh, You're no longer enslaved to sin. You are now enslaved to Christ. He is your master. He is the Lord of your life. So that's the foundational issue when it comes to the matter of fellowship. Now, Paul makes a distinction here, and he says that um, we're not to base fellowshipping on diet. It's not the diet that we choose to eat. And look what he says in verses 1 through 3 except the one who is weak in the faith without quarreling over disputable matters. And so Paul says now, uh, this matter of diet is a disputable matter. Not as other things that fit into this category, uh, but he says that diet fits into a disputable matter because one person, their faith allows them to eat anything. Uh, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. Now, Paul says something here that almost seems backwards, right? We think that the person who's strong in a faith would be the one who only eats vegetables. But Paul says just the opposite. One who has strong faith realizes they can eat anything because their salvation is not based upon what they eat or what they do not eat. Verse number three, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt. The one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them both. And I guess if God has accepted them both, then we can accept them both as well. Now, as we look at this subject uh, without quarreling over disputable matters, Paul here is getting into the subject with how we fellowship with one another. Our fellowship should not be based on quarreling over disputable matters. Now, this is such an important subject. Paul mentions it to Titus, and he mentions it in 2 Timothy to young Timothy. Look what he says to Titus. Titus chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Titus, as you're leading your church, avoid foolish disputes. Well, what are foolish disputes? Well, he gives a list of things there. Genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law. Now, why should I avoid these, Paul? Because they are unprofitable and they are useless. And then he does something else. He knows that there are going to be certain people that come into your congregation that may be involved in foolish disputes. Now, as I look at this text, after serving as a pastor for a long time, I've discovered the most dangerous point for a person who becomes a believer is not the first couple of years that they're saved right? They're growing in their faith, and generally they're growing by leaps and bounds. They're kind of like a newborn baby grows uh, incredibly. You know, a newborn baby will double its weight within the first 12 months, and amazing things happen within the first 12 months. But a new believer, I believe the most dangerous time in their growth is between the ages of three and five. They've been saved between three and five years, and uh, that's the point in their life where they know enough to be dangerous, right? They have a lot of information. They've gathered a lot of facts. They've grown exponentially. But now they're at a point that if they're not careful, they're going to get hung up into some foolish disputes, right? Uh, Strivings and contentions about the law. Paul says these are useless. These are unprofitable. You know, many years ago, there's a guy that came to our church, and and I led him to the Lord. I led his wife to the Lord. And and they were the type of people, man, when they got saved, they got saved, right? And they got saved out of a lifestyle of alcohol and drugs, and, and their lives were radically changed by the power of Jesus Christ. Powerful, powerful testimony. They began to grow in their faith. They began to serve. They were on our worship team. They began to do a whole lot in our church. And this guy was in, in the Navy, and he was doing great. His wife was doing great. His kids were doing pretty good. And we were seeing them grow in their faith. And and then this man was um, put out on deployment and was away for about uh, five or six months. And while he was on this deployment, um, unbeknownst to the rest of us, he was under the teaching of some false doctrine. I guess a shipmate of his was teaching a Bible study. They got hung up on a lot of doctrine that really is faulty, false in its nature. And uh, so this guy came back off this deployment. And all of a sudden felt like the leadership of Hickory Ridge Community Church uh, had no understanding of this doctrine that he was introduced to and tried to introduce that doctrine to the church uh, and tried to convince us that that is the way we ought to go as a church and couldn't believe that we all these years had missed this doctrine. You know, I want to tell you something about new doctrine. Uh, If it's new, it's probably not true. There's nothing new under the sun. Paul here tells us that that person who will strive about the law that person who becomes contentious. We're supposed to avoid foolish disputes. They are unprofitable. They are useless. And then he says something else to Titus. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning and being self-condemned. Now, Paul tells us that there's a point in which we say we must Draw the line in the sand. We must reject the device or person, but we're not going to reject a person over their diet, over what they eat. Listen, if you're a vegetarian, you're welcome to come worship with us and fellowship with us at Hickory Ridge Community Church. If you're not a vegetarian, you're welcome to come and fellowship with us. The bottom line is, we're not going to make a big deal out of the fact of you being a vegetarian or not being a vegetarian. Paul also talks about this to young Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2, he says, Now Timothy, I want you to avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. I know, don't you love how Paul puts this together? Timothy, don't get hung up on disputes. Avoid these. And he talks about the man of God. As a matter of fact, this is one of the characteristics or character traits of a pastor. He must not be quarrelsome. He must not be one who likes to argue and debate. Now, that doesn't mean he can't argue and debate. It means that's not his nature. That's what he's known for. I know some people, I even know some pastors, and they are known to be quarrelsome. They're not really gentle. They're not really able to teach. They're not very patient. They lack humility in correcting others. And so here we see that we can reject those who are not humble, those who are not gentle, those who are quarrelsome. You know, oftentimes when we think about debates, the reason we're so adamant about a wrong debate, for example, is because we're really ignorant of the truth when you know the truth, right, the truth will set you free. When you understand the foundation of the doctrines of our faith, you're not one that is easily going to get worked up because you know that the doctrine itself is a foundation that will settle the dispute. You can humbly deal with the issue. I guess it's kind of like if you're the strongest person on the playground, you're not worried about that 99 pound weakling. You're not worried about him at all, right? You don't have to go pick a fight with him. You don't have to go get in a debate with him. You don't have to go push his buttons to get him all worked up. You are secure in the fact that any moment of the day, uh, you can take him out. But you don't have to flex your muscles because you're very secure. You're very humble in the fact of who you are. And so God didn't say, I will save you if you give up meat. God didn't say, I'll save you if you don't give up meat. Our salvation is not based upon diet. God receives both. And now we notice that the one who is weak in the faith is the one who only eats vegetables. Now it's possible that these Christians had not been able to let go of a Jewish dietary restriction, especially about eating only kosher foods. Maybe the daily life in Rome had made it impossible to ensure that the meat sold in the market was kosher. Well, concerned believers might have decided, you know what, it's best that we don't eat meat at all. And that's okay. Uh, No problem there. Now, it's possible that the issue has to do with eating meat offered in sacrifice to idols. Now, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says some Christians do not want to support idol worship by eating meat that may have been offered to an idol and then sold in the marketplace. You know, others perhaps may have, have been concerned about associating with any demonic activity attached to the meat. Whatever the issue, Paul's statement about weakness seems to indicate his view is that those believers do not yet have the strength of faith to be convinced that God's grace has freed them from any of the requirements of the law. You see, they could not, in good conscience bring themselves to eat meat. Paul doesn't correct them in this passage. He instead says both sides of this issue is legitimate. Listen, today I want you to know that God's grace is sufficient for you. So Paul talks about diet. Paul also talks about the days, the days that we consider sacred. Uh, Drop down to verses five and six. One person considers one day More sacred than the other, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Now, it's most likely that Paul is thinking about the Jewish Feast days and the Sabbath days. Elsewhere, Paul condemns Christians in Galatia for continuing to observe days and months and seasons and years. And the reason he does condemn them in that case is because they were trusting their religious rule keeping, keeping of the festivals and the feast days. They were trusting that instead of God's grace through faith in Christ. So please join me tomorrow as we look at this subject further, as we look at who should we fellowship with? Who should we not fellowship with? And then why does it matter that we even look into this subject? And then how can we fellowship and get along with each other? I want you to know you can get along with brothers and sisters in Christ. How pleasant it is, how sweet it is to get along with brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, just this weekend, my church did an event where they reached out to the care providers who care for special needs adults or children. Uh, it was a great time of refreshment as a minister to those parents and those, those who have special needs children in their lives or special needs adults in their lives. That's what the fellowship is all about, encouraging one another. Well, I hope you join me tomorrow for part two of this matter of fellowship. Who can I fellowship with? Uh, it doesn't matter if you're weak in the faith or strong in the faith. Uh, you can remember that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, if Jesus is the Lord of our lives, put him first always, and you'll discover that you will enjoy the fellowship with one another. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Now, if I can pray for you, here's my phone number. Shoot me a text, 252 267 Two three six five two five two two six seven two three six five. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at BuzzSprout.com backslash one eight nine zero five five seven, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at thirty three twenty Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.